Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Ross went to Malawi? Nope, Uganda. Uganda. Julia went to Malawi. Kelly went to Tanzania. Catherine, you've many times been to Rwanda. That may be significant. We're looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. My favorite episode in the uh, miniseries Band of Brothers is the episode in which uh, Captain Winters is typing what's called an after-action report. I find it utterly fascinating that our troops actually took typewriters to Europe. But they did. They took typewriters. And between battles, the officers actually had to type on these typewriters what's called an after-action report, uh, explaining what happened in the battle. And it's because of those reports that they were actually able to make that TV show. They based the battles on the written reports or the typed reports that the officers made. Uh, and the, that episode he, it sort of goes back and forth. It shows some of the battle, and it shows him recollecting and typing. And y you find yourself you know, wondering why the Army's gone through all this effort to bring typewriters to Europe and make their officers go off the line to type these reports. But the reason is that they actually wanted their uh, commanders to think about the battles after they happened to understand what went well, what, what didn't go well, and uh, they decided that there would be uh, a significant benefit in understanding what had actually happened uh, for them and, of course, for later officers. Now, if you're a Christian, verses 13 and 14 are basically the same thing. They are an after-action report. They explain how you got to where you are right now. If you look, uh, starting partway through verse 13, he says, uh, Brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. He thanks God for them. He reminds them of how they got to where they are right now. If you please put up my slide for me. The Ordo Salutis, or Order of Salvation, is the uh, detailed way that people in the Reformed Church define the word salvation. When I say to you that Jesus saved me, this is what I mean. When I use the word salvation, this is what I am talking about. The same would be the case in any other Reformed church. Now, there is no passage in the Bible that actually lays out all 12 of these steps in a single passage. However, there are various passages that lay out a number of the steps, like our passage this morning, and you throw them all together, and this is what you get, the Ordo Salutis. This is one of my favorite teaching tools, and there are times where uh, I've uh, used it briefly. 
uh, I'd like you to permit me this morning the opportunity to uh, actually explain it in a little greater detail this morning, because I believe our passage this morning uh, very much uh, lays out a number of steps in the Ordo Salutis. And if you look at this and you say, oh, all these big old Latin words, I don't really think so, not on a Sunday morning. All right, well, give me a chance, okay? All right, I've, uh, I've been a teacher a lot of years, and I teach, you know, seventh and eighth grade mainly, and let me tell you something, I have found this extremely useful at the seventh and eighth grade level. And, well, if a seventh grader can use it, by golly, so can you. All right. So uh, let's go through this. Uh, the word order, ordo means order. So there is a logical order to our salvation. Uh, before God made anything, he foreknew those he would save. The word know in the Bible often means love, and that's what it means in this case. The Old Testament often talks about a man knowing his wife, meaning to love them, and that's what this means. Before God made anything, he decided to love some people. And why? Uh, we don't know. Uh, but he did, and that's what we mean by foreknowledge. Having decided to love them, he predestined them or chose to save them. And again, uh, this is before God made anything. Why did he choose them? I don't know. And, and that's, that's one thing that really separates, uh, I guess, our church from many others. Uh, obviously, these words occur in the Bible. Uh, the question is, why did God choose to love you? Why did God choose to save you? And, you know, I would say that I have no idea. You know, I have no idea why God chose to save you. However, I do know why he didn't choose to save you. I would say it's not because there is anything better about you or anything different about you. And this is, this is uh, something that, of course, we disagree with, with many other Christians who, who would say that, no, uh, God sort of has some mystical crystal ball, and he looks into the future, and he sees the people who are going to believe in him, and he decides that he likes them more. Strongly disagree with that. I don't know why God chose me, but I do know why he didn't. There's nothing different about me and my college roommate, who for whatever reason, at least at this point, seems like God did not choose to save. All right, so these both happen before God even creates the world. The third step up there, the work of Christ. When did that happen? That's right. 2,000 years ago that happened. So from our perspective, this is past tense as well. Jesus obeys the law. He suffers the penalty of the law through his sufferings that we might be saved. So these first three steps all happened before you were even born. Now we get to this point here, effectual calling. Uh, that refers to everything God did to get you interested in Jesus and to teach you about Jesus. So if, if you're sitting here right now as a Christian, you can probably think back on at least 10,000, 20,000 different things that happened earlier in your life before you became a Christian that God used to get you closer and closer to the point where you would, in fact, repent and believe in Jesus. All of that stuff together that God did, whether it took him 10 years or 50 years to get you to repent, all of that together is what we call effectual calling. Now, if, if you're not yet a Christian and you're in this room right now, and you're one day going to be a Christian, then guess what? You, just you listening to this sermon right now is part of your effectual calling. Probably just a little piece of it, but nevertheless, still a part of your effectual calling. 
Regeneration, a big word for what Jesus calls being born again. He says in John 3, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So uh, I can look back at myself before I was a Christian, and I can say that I was dead in my sins and transgressions. That's what Paul describes the unbeliever as in Ephesians chapter 2. And there was no way that I would ever actually believe and repent unless the Holy Spirit made me born again. That's what he did. When all this calling came to its conclusion, the Holy Spirit made me born again so that I would then turn away from my sin and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. When I believed in Jesus, God in his mind united me with Christ. Now, in the mind of God, every human being is united with what other man? Adam. That's right. We are all in Adam. So God considers us all guilty of Adam's first sin. He imputes or credits the guilt of Adam's first sin to us. But if you believe in Jesus, then God also considers you in Christ. So this happens in the mind of God. In his mind now, you now have Jesus as your federal head, if you're a Christian, and he credits or imputes to you the obedience of Christ. I've, of course, met many people who are really offended, especially Americans. I I used to be a missionary in Japan. No Japanese person would have a problem with being credited with the sin of Adam, you know. But Americans, very individualistic culture, it's, who does God think he is to hold me guilty for Adam's sin? I wasn't there. All right. Well, just remember, if, if you have a problem with that, then what else do you have a problem with? Yes, with God crediting Christ's obedience to you. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say, oh, I'm all great with the idea of Jesus saving me, but I don't like the idea of uh, being held responsible for Adam. You've got to go all the, all, all the way one way or the other there. Right? So in, in the mind of God, we're united with Christ, and then on the basis of that, God justifies the sinner, meaning he forgives the sinner and credits Christ's righteousness to him, and he adopts the person. You get out of the courtroom, into the family room. Is every person on this planet a child of God? No, only those who are adopted by God. No one is born into this planet a child of God, except, of course, for the Son of God. Uh, After you're adopted, by the way, let me stop there for a sec. There's a a word that people often use talking about several steps here. The word is conversion. You know, they say, I can say that I was converted in April 30th, 1988, which was the day I became a believer. When, When someone uses that word conversion, which steps are they talking about? Regeneration, faith and repentance, union with Christ, justification, and adoption. All five of those steps together, from our perspective, happen simultaneously. And let me challenge you. I don't know if you're into that word, conversion. Some people just avoid it like the plague because non-Christians can't stand it. That's fine. Okay, but if you use that word, I'm going to insist. Well, I'm going to insist that you don't use that word. Unless this is what you mean. If that's what you mean when you say, God converted me, fine, use it. If that's not what you mean, then I'm going to challenge you in saying you don't understand clearly enough the own words that you're using, don't use it. Make sense? Mm. All right. Okay. After God adopts a person, he starts sanctifying them. This is a lifelong process, the Holy Spirit changing you, transforming you. So that, Lord willing, 10 years from now, you'll be more like Christ. 10 years after that, you'll even be more like Christ. And, wow, you know, if you've been a believer for a while, I really challenge you to go to the people who know you best, your spouse, your parents, your children. Am I different than I was five years ago, than I was 10 years ago? Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit changing me, sanctifying me, remaking me, so that I'm more like Christ? 
It's a tough question. If all this has happened, the Holy Spirit will make sure that you persevere till the end. You are not the plant that sprouts up and dies because the soil is shallow. You're not the plant that sprouts up but doesn't bear fruit because the thorns choke it. You are the plant that sprouts up and bears fruit. A genuine believer, you will keep repenting and believing to the end. And glorification, of course, refers to uh, the new body that you get when Jesus returns, a glorified body like his own resurrection body. I want you to go ahead and keep that up for me today. Now, if, if you are a Christian right now, where on there are you right now? Yeah, you're, these two steps right here, sanctification and perseverance. The Holy Spirit's changing you. Lord willing, you're also persevering daily in faith and repentance. If... If someone's in this room who's not yet a Christian, but will be a week, a year, 10 years from now, whatever, where are they up there right now? They're right there, effectual calling. Uh, Whenever that person finally becomes a Christian, they will look back on everything that has happened in their life as something God used to call them to Christ. So that is where they are right now. And if there is anyone on this planet right now who is never going to become a Christian, where are they up there? They're not. They're not up there at all. Now, if you're saying to yourself, well, all right, lots of big old words, still don't really see the point. Well, please, just give me a chance, okay? (laughs) Give me a chance. Turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I find it a useful exercise to look at passages that contain many of the steps of the Ordo Salutis and see how many of the steps my students can pick out, since everyone here, of course, is smarter than a seventh grader. I'm going to assume that you'll do even better than my students in picking these steps out. We're looking at Romans 8, 28 through 30. Now, again, there's no passage in the Bible that contains all 12 steps, but... This passage contains quite a few of them in just a few verses. Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called... He also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Which of these steps occur in this passage? Okay, foreknowledge is mentioned. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Are there any others of these steps here? Verse 29, we were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Which step is that? That's sanctification. Very good. Being changed year by year so that we're more and more like Jesus. There's another one hinted at. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Adoption, that's right. We're all brothers with Christ. Very good. Let's try this again with another passage. Ephesians chapter 1. 
Ephesians chapter 1. By the way, if you don't like the Ordo Salutis, it's okay. I love you just as much. All right. And uh, again, there's no one passage that contains it. So strictly speaking, we, we can't say that it's, it's biblical. It's, it's theology, but Lord willing, it's theology that does come straight from the Bible. And so in that sense, it is biblical. I, I'd like to say that this isn't me. Okay, I didn't come up with this. Okay, this is straight out of the Bible. And if, if you do like this, by the way, the, the, the go-to guy is John Murray, Redemption, Accomplished, and Applied, just a little... A little dig for one of my buds, John Murray there. Okay, but anyhow. All right. Okay, we're looking at Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So again, going through here, verse 4, he chose us, predestination, in him. That's union with Christ. That we should be holy and blameless. Sanctification. In love. Foreknowledge. He predestined us, obviously. Help me out, I lost my spot. Verse 5. He predestined us for adoption. Thank you. Obviously, adoption. Good. Verse 7. In Him, union with Christ, we have redemption through His blood. That's the work of Christ. The forgiveness of sins. Thank you. Justification. And there's more later in the passage, but... I've made the point. And, you know, this is a great exercise. You can do this on your own. It's fun at home. It is. (laughs) Just grab a passage and the Ordo Salutis and go through the passage and see how many steps you can find. I find it's uh, a very useful exercise. Let's turn back to our passage for this morning, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, please. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There is a difference between biblical and systematic theology. And by that I mean that the way we use terms in theology is often different than the way those terms are used in the Bible. Usually in theology we assign a term a more restrictive meaning than that term uh, has in the Bible. And a good example of that is the word sanctification. If you look with me at verse 13 in our passage here, it says, God chose you as the first roots to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Sanctification. Is he talking about sanctification? No, he's not. The word sanctification does not mean sanctification. You say, how is that possible? Because some words in the Bible have a broader, what 
scholars call semantic range, what I'm just going to call broader set of definitions than those terms have in theology. In theology, this word means this gradual process of change that the Holy Spirit does in you, and that's all it means in theology. But in Bible, the word gets used all sorts of ways. Okay, I mean, in his prayer in John 17, Jesus talks about himself being sanctified. Okay, what does that mean? Jesus needs to grow in holiness? No. So obviously the word has a much broader range of meanings in the Bible. And here's an example of that. The word sanctification here actually means regeneration or being born again in this case. Uh, a clue to that is the fact that it's being talked about as something past tense, something that was necessary in order for the person to believe. You say, well, well how am I supposed to tell? Well, it's hard. It's hard. But in this case, the word sanctification doesn't mean sanctification. It actually means regeneration. Another example of that is the word saved, also in verse 13. God chose you as the first roots to be saved. He's talking about being saved as past tense. What's he actually talking about with the word saved? He's talking about justification in that case. Say, that's hard. I agree. It is. It's annoying. Yes, that's life. All right. The the way words are used in theology is much more specific than the way they're used in the Bible. So just because you learn how these terms are all used in the order of salutis doesn't mean that every time you encounter those words in the Bible, you can just fill that definition in. You can't. This is an example of that. So let's, let's look through this. Verse 13, brothers beloved by the Lord, that's foreknowledge because God chose you, predestination. First fruits to be saved, that's justification. Through sanctification, that's regeneration, and belief in the truth, that's faith and repentance. To this he called you through our gospel, effectual calling, you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's glorification. Mm. Many steps of the Ordo Salutis again in this passage. Now, this is a Calvinist church. Uh, the majority of evangelical churches in America, of course, are Arminian churches, which is the opposite of Calvinist church, okay? So I want you to imagine two people here, okay? Here's Calvinist, okay, uh, Christian right here, and here is, uh, you know, someone who disagrees with Calvinism, uh, Armenian Christian, okay, they're both believers, all right, they both believe Jesus died for their sins, they both trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins, all right, so what's the difference between the two of them? The difference is in the after-action report, okay, they're, they're looking back, how did I get here? There was a time that I did not believe in Jesus, now I do. There was a time I didn't care. Now I do. My roommate had the same opportunities as me. He doesn't care. My brother had the same opportunities. He doesn't care. Why am I here now, trusting in Jesus, believing in Jesus, forgiven of my sins, when these other people all around me who had the same opportunities aren't believing in Jesus? How did I get here? And the Calvinists and Arminian have two different answers to that question. The Arminian answer is that there's something different about me. Okay? God liked me more, or I was more willing to repent and believe. There's, there's something that sets me apart from all these people around me. I'm, in the end of the day, better than they are. If that's the case, then our salvation is not all by grace. The Calvinist says, the reason I'm here is because God chose me and called me even though there is nothing different or better about me than about the people he didn't choose and didn't call. And so he has to get all the credit for my salvation. And that's the point of verse 13 here. What does he say? Does Paul say we ought to always give thanks to God and you for you being a Christian now? No. He just says 
we ought always to give thanks to God for you being where you are now because you are Christians now. We're giving thanks to him and him alone because he gets all the credit for why you are where you are and they aren't where they are, where you are. Yeah. The point is that Paul gives thanks to God for their salvation. It was God who chose them. It was God who called them. There's such great irony in people accusing Calvinists of arrogance or pride because we're the only Christian group that believes there's actually nothing different about us than all the other people on the planet. That you can't earn God's salvation, that you can't repay it, that God didn't choose me because I'm better than everyone else. I'm not better than everyone else. Saved by grace alone. By grace alone. Now, the uh, Ordo Salutis isn't perfect. Uh, if you write it down and put it under your pillow at night and it gives you warm fuzzies, that's fine, okay? But uh, again, it's, it's a theological construct created by men. Uh, it has several weaknesses. Uh, for one thing, union with Christ technically can't be put at any step on there. It, it doesn't properly belong in a certain order because all of these things happen. Uh, Union with Christ applies to every step up there. For example, God chose us in Christ. We're, we're, uh, uh, God considered us in Christ when Jesus was dying on the cross. We're raised uh, together with Christ on that day. Uh, so traditionally, it just gets stuck in that step, but really it could be put anywhere up there. It, it doesn't go in an order. Uh, another weakness there is, I think it's strong on the how did we get here, and it's weak on the, on the now what. I, I, I think the key question of the Christian life is now what? Now what? Okay, great, I'm a Christian. Praise the Lord. God has made me born again, and um, he's justified me and adopted me. Great, now what? And, well, it, you know, I think it could just do a lot more than put those two words up there. All right, now what? I mean, listen, if, if you are a Christian today, I mean, praise God that he has forgiven you and that he has adopted you. Praise God. Now what? What have you been saved unto? It's a little weak there. Okay, nevertheless. <laughs> nevertheless, it's a very useful tool. And please allow me to give you seven reasons why I think so. Okay. Uh, first of all, I, I love the Ordo Salutis because it clearly demonstrates that some of our salvation is past tense, some of it is present tense, and some of it is future tense. Uh, if, if you're a Christian today, which of those things have already happened? Past tense. Justification all the way on up. Oh, I'm sorry. Adoption all the way on up. That's all past tense. That part of your salvation is finished. It is over. It's done with. So in that sense, we can say that you have been saved. Okay? Which parts are present tense, ongoing right now? These parts right here. So in that sense, we can say you are being saved. There's a part up there that's future tense. Even the people in heaven are still waiting for that, for the resurrection bodies. In that sense, God will one day save you. You are waiting to be saved. And uh, I've been uh, finding verses in the Bible and putting them on my, my theology blog uh, under these separate categories. So you can go to the blog and maybe you can leave a note if you find some other verses that clearly, that clearly either show salvation as something past and finished, as something present and ongoing, or something future, something that Christians are still waiting for. I look forward to your 
comments if that's what you'd like to do. Okay. Uh, uh, one reason why it's a useful tool. A second is that it, it helps visualize that salvation is a package deal. I mean, when, when Paul in, in Romans says, those whom God uh, predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What Paul is trying to say is you get all of it or you get none of it. You never, ever only get some of it. Salvation is a package deal. And by sticking it all up there, boom, mm, just sort of really gets that out there. Mm. Package deal, take it or leave it. Mm. Uh, third, the Ordo Salutis helps us to understand the Trinity. Uh, each person of the Trinity is more particularly involved with each step up there. Which uh, person of the Trinity foreknows us? God the Father, predestines. God the Father, obviously God the Son. Calling, who calls? Yeah, uh, actually there's some disagreement on that, because uh, obviously it's the Holy Spirit is the one who has to sort of enlighten, quicken someone, and yet Jesus says in John 6 that unless the Father, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So let's just say the Father draws him through the work of the Holy Spirit, huh? Okay, and we'll leave it at that. All right, who makes a person born again? Holy Spirit. Uh, obviously, we're united with Christ, but where does this take place, this union with Christ? in the mind of God the Father. Okay, he's the one who is now considering us in Christ. Uh, who justifies? No, he earns our justification. Who says not guilty? God the Father justifies. Who adopts? Obviously God the Father. That's why he's called the Father, because he adopts you. Okay, great, good. Huh. All right, uh, which person sanctifies you? Holy Spirit, which person? Spirit helps you. you could, Bible also talks a lot about Jesus as our shepherd, you know, preserving us, so could go either way there. And who raises us from the dead? God the Father raises us on that day, even as God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Helps understand the Trinity. Fourth, uh, the Order Salutis helps clarify our language. Uh, I do not let my students at my school use the word saved or salvation, ever in any context, unless this is what they mean. When I ask them, what is the gospel? Believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. What do you mean by saved? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh-uh. When this is what you mean by the word saved, then you can use the word salvation. Let me challenge you to that. Understand what you mean when you say that Jesus saved you. Hmm. I mean, it's so much. I mean, the, the salvation Christ has earned for us is so comprehensive, so efficacious, so big. You know, why just settle for the word saved when you mean saved? Yeah, I mean, that's what we want to get across, just how huge the gospel is, how comprehensive, how satisfying. Fifth, the uh, order salutis helps clarify our present duty, and that's Paul's point in verse 15 in our passage. If you look with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, he says, So then, brothers, stand firm, stand firm, that's perseverance, and hold fast to the traditions, that's right here, obeying the scriptures. All right, so Paul, Paul makes it clear. Listen, this is, this is past tense for you, and now as believers, you need to focus on 
what your current duty or responsibility is, and also what we're supposed to pray for each other. I mean, do, do you ever pray for a Christian for God to justify him? No. To adopt her? No. Those things are passed and done. I mean, Paul doesn't pray that for Christians. What he prays in verse 16 and 17 is, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Know what your duty is and also know what you should be praying for one another. Six, the Ordo Salutis provides a theological argument for infant baptism. Yeah, okay, it's quarter to 12. So we're going to save that one for another time. Um, but if, if anyone wants the theological argument for infant baptism based on the Ordo Salutis, uh, I'm your guy, okay? So just uh, I'll be glad to share that with you. And seventh, finally, uh, the uh, Ordo Salutis makes it clear that salvation is much more than just justification. Okay, when, when people say, I believed in Jesus and God saved me, what do they really mean? They really mean he... he that you were justified. You were forgiven. Okay, you're now right with God. And justification is the core and central benefit of the gospel. Absolutely. Justification by faith alone is the cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith. But there is more to salvation than being forgiven. There is more to salvation than being forgiven. It's not just what we're saved from. It's also what we're saved unto. The gospel is bigger than forgiveness. If you do not yet believe in Christ, my prayer for you is that God would call you most effectually, that he would do whatever he has to to get you to repent and believe in Christ. If you already believe in Jesus, my prayer for you is that God would indeed comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. May he grant such grace to us all. Let's pray. God Almighty, we thank you for so great.